Good morning, live stream. How are you? Oh, come on. Good morning. How are you? Hey, turn to your neighbor and say you didn't melt on the way in. Go ahead. You didn't melt on the way in. Way to go. Uh, you braved the, the rain, and so, hey, can we just say it? Um, you know, we, this church is so well served. You have one of the very best pastors in all the world, uh, in Pastor Jim, and uh, yeah, can we just say thank you to Jim and to Terry and their family, but the thing about it is, is that you're not, it's really, I, I've said this before at Livestream, it's really not, it's really not fair, because not only do you have Jim and Terry, but you have uh, so many, I mean, I could just go on, Jeff and Lori and Chris and Josh and Josh, I mean, just so many awesome staff members here. Can we just say thank you to them for the way that they serve week in and week out? It's just, it's really, really cool. Okay, so uh, I want you to think about something that you are good at. Don't worry about being arrogant or prideful, no, no, no. Maybe you are the king of the grill, like that's your territory. Maybe for you, you're a great cook. Maybe you're a great golfer. Maybe you're a really good artist. Maybe you can play an instrument. Maybe you, uh, maybe you can turn a wrench really, really well. Maybe you can fix just about anything in your house. Maybe you're just a naturally good listener. Like you listen to people and, and they tell you everything. Maybe you're just naturally good at people. Your EQ is really high. Maybe you're really good at math. Maybe you're really good at geometry. Maybe you're really good um, in the biology. Maybe you are really good in the medical field. Maybe that's your deal, okay? So think about that thing that you're naturally good at. And now imagine with me that for some reason you happen to have an off day in your sweet spot. Like you're a really good golfer, but man, you shank every shot of the day and you don't want anyone to see that scorecard from that day, right? Or, or maybe you're a, you're a really good cook, but you managed to burn the Kraft macaroni and cheese, right? Maybe, maybe you're naturally really, really good at people, but you walk up to someone and say, hey, I see you're expecting. When are you having your child? <sighs> Only to find out that they're not expecting at all. Okay, why do we ask that question? Okay, we're idiots when we ask that question. So I, I just, just imagine that. Here's the deal. Maybe, maybe if you were really good at basketball, and, and you could actually dunk a basketball. But you went up one time and you just muffed it. Like it was really, really embarrassing bad. Okay? Two things normally happen when we're naturally good or we've gotten really, we've worked really hard to become good at something and we just blow it one time. Two things happen. Number one, yeah, we're embarrassed. And number two, we hope that no one's watching. Right? We kind of hope that no one's watching another time. Now, having said that, how many, is there anyone in the room who enjoy fishing? Like, fishing is your deal. Okay, just raise your hand. We're our fisher people. Thank you very much. Awesome. Um, I'm 53 years old. I've never caught a fish. Okay? And please don't be that person that walks up afterwards and says, hey, I'll take you fishing. You would be the 13th person that's promised me to take me fishing that I'll catch something and I won't catch anything. Okay? But, you know, here's the deal. When you go fishing, the idea is to the, the, the worst that can happen when you go fishing, I don't know if you've ever watched like Deadliest Catch, but the worst thing that can happen when you go fishing is A, someone comes back dead. Okay? <laughs> that's the worst thing. The second worst thing that can happen is you come back with no fish. Like you're out there to fish. Well, this guy by the name of Luke in the New Testament on the Bible tells this story about these two guys, Pete and Andy. And Pete and Andy had gone out fishing all night long and they hadn't caught a thing. And, and the bummer about 
not catching. I mean, they were, they were professional fishermen. They were commercial fishermen. This is what they did for a living. This is how they provided for their family. This is how they put food on the table, literally, right? And they hadn't caught a thing. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever been around a fisherman that goes out fishing and doesn't catch anything, they can be a little cantankerous. If this is how you make your living and you don't catch anything, you are really frustrated, right? So you come in, haven't caught a thing, and, you, and you're sitting there. And the bummer about it is, is that you still have to clean the nets. Like you still got to wash the nets of the seaweed and all that kind of stuff that attracted the nets. So you, you still got to catch the nets. So this guy, Luke, tells a story in Luke chapter 5 about Pete and Andy that are sitting there cleaning their nets after they spent the whole night. Now, they worked third shift. So they got up at 9 o'clock at night. They worked from like 10, 30, 11, all the way till the dawn. And they didn't catch anything. Now they're catching their fish. I mean, excuse me, now they're, 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 they're cleaning their nets. And as they're cleaning their nets, here comes this guy walking up. And the Bible doesn't tell us that they'd ever met this guy before. But here, here comes this guy walking up, and he's teaching. And the thing about the first century is they didn't have Hulu. They, they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have iPads or iPhones. They didn't have football on 75-inch televisions. Like there was nothing to do. So when a person came through that could teach and could communicate really effectively, man, they would just draw a crowd. A crowd would be attracted to them. So Jesus is teaching, and all these people are attracted to his teaching. So they're following him. And he happens to be walking along the Sea of Galilee right where Pete and Andy are. And he's got such a crowd that's surrounding him that he's kind of being pressed. And, and he also knows that, that water is an awesome conduit for sound. So he looks just down at, at Pete and Andy who are watching the nurse and says, Hey guys, can I borrow your boat? And I'm sure what Pete is thinking at that point, see, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm sure Pete's thinking, do you have any idea what the last eight hours of my life has been like? Haven't caught a thing. I'm sitting here cleaning the stupid nets. And now you want me to take you on a joy ride out 10 to 20 feet off the water so that you can teach? Okay, great. Now I'm gonna look like a jerk if I don't say yes, so sure. Put the nets back in the boat, Jesus get in. They go out 15, 20, 25 feet or whatever. And he teaches them. And he teaches them for a while. We, the Bible doesn't tell us how long. And when he's done teaching, he just dismisses the crowd. I, I don't know how he ended that time. You know, does he pray and then say, in my name, amen? Like, I don't know. But, but he's done. And, and the crowd disperses and they leave. And then he turns to Pete and Andy and he says, hey, guys, why don't we go fishing? I mean, let's go out a little bit and, and let your nets down. At that point, Peter, you see, we just read scripture and we don't actually think what's going on. At that point, Pete and Andy have got to be saying, are you thinking nuts? Like we've been up since 9.30 or 10 o'clock last night, been on the water from 11 o'clock until 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Then we we're cleaning our nets. Now they are clean. Now we had to suffer through your teaching. And now now you're telling us to go back. Jesus, do you know that fish actually don't bite at night? They don't. Excuse me, during the day? Excuse me, during the day? Like in the middle of the morning, which is when we are right now. It's like 11 o'clock in the morning. Jesus, fish don't bite at 11 o'clock in the morning. They're sleeping. They're down to them. They don't bite. They don't swim at this time of the day. And you really want us to go out and put our nets down? We just got done cleaning them. 
Jesus, you might be an awesome teacher, but do me a favor, stay in your lane. I'm sure that what Pete, that's what Peter's thinking. Jesus is staying in your lane. And so he, t- but, but okay, I don't want to be embarrassed again. I don't want to be rude, so fine. We'll go out and we drop the nets. But when we don't catch anything, don't be ticked off at me, Jesus, when I tell you, I told you so. They go out. They drop the nets. And every fish in that lake starts hightailing for their nets. Just boom. And all of a sudden, Pete and Andy are like, they're trying to pull up the net. Like, they're, oh my God, like, we've never had a catch like this. And they're pulling up their nets. And all of a sudden, their boat is tipping over. Like, they, they're about to go over. And they, they see their friend, Jim and John. Jim, John, get over here now. Get your boat out here now. You know, so, oh my goodness, so Jim and John, like, they're rowing out, get there as fast as they can, and they fill both boats with the fish. And by now, Jesus is thinking in the back of his head, yeah, I told you. And as they row back in, Pete realizes that what just happened could only be explained as supernatural. Like God somehow had to be involved in this. And he just feels a bit uncomfortable. Again, scripture doesn't tell us, but I'm thinking Pete at this point is thinking, Jesus, when we're out at two o'clock at night and John or Jim says something really stupid, there's this thing called sailor language. And it's not really the kind of language that we use in the synagogue or church. And, and then Jesus, when, when we're coming back in and there are women that are already sunbathing on the beach, we, I, I just tend to look a bit longer than I should. Jesus, I, I'm not exactly sure who you are, but I know that you're, you must be someone uberly spiritual, and that's not me. So, hey, Jesus, would you do me a favor? Can you just, like, leave me alone? He's just embarrassed. And in that moment, Jesus looks at Peter and he flips it. And he says, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed Jesus. You know what Jesus was saying to Peter in that moment? Hey, Pete, I've got a mission for you. You've got a destiny to fulfill. Why don't you come fulfill the purpose and the destiny that I created you for. And I wonder, I wonder if you and I could catch up with Peter a decade later and say, hey, Pete, was it worth it? Was it worth it to figure out the purpose and the destiny that God had for you and to live into it? You know what I think Peter would tell you? I think he would say, oh my gosh, you have no idea. Like there was this one day, there have been many, many days, but there was this one day, it was after Jesus was crucified and then after he rose from the dead and, and after he ascended to heaven, a few weeks after that, the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon us. And on that day, God just empowered me. I, I didn't think I was all that great of a speaker. I, I wasn't all that good at public speaking. I was always talking and going off at the mouth, but I didn't know I could actually like teach or preach. All of a sudden, 
I just began to preach, and that day alone, after I got done preaching, 3,000 people came into a relationship with Jesus Christ on that day alone. Oh, man, I think Peter would say. I'm so glad I got involved in the purpose and the destiny that God had for me. To see people who are far from him come into a relationship with him. Ah, I'm so glad. See, when you and I see ourselves on mission, when we are living our lives on mission with the purpose that God has for us, then a couple of really cool things happen. Number one, we get focused. And number two, we don't allow things to distract us. Non-critical things, they don't distract us anymore. This guy by the name of Paul in the New Testament writes to his protege, a guy by the name of Tim. And he says, hey, hey, Tim, no soldier in active service gets entangled in the ordinary business affairs of civilian life. He avoids them so that he might please the one who enlisted him to serve. What's Paul saying there, Tim? Hey, Timothy, God's got a purpose for you to fulfill. God's got a destiny for you to fulfill. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not an idiot. I mean, you might think I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's fair. I know you've got a life. I know you have bills to pay. I know you have children to raise, some of you. I know you've got a job to fulfill. I know you've got a life. And I know that your life can be really, really busy. I fully understand that. I, I'm, not, I'm not clueless to that fact. And, and, and I'm, I, don't, I don't want to bore you. I'm just going to make the statement that go on. In a two-year period of my own life, we combined five districts into one region, which had never been done before in our tiny little denomination. So instead of 63 churches I was responsible for, I became responsible for 184 churches. And at the same time, I started a PhD program. Hello, I'm an idiot. And in the midst of that, Jesus is inviting me to live my life on mission. To live my life on purpose. So that when I'm going through life, he wants to fill me with an awareness that he wants to use me in the situations I find myself in. And just like you, he wants to use all of us. And the thing is, is so many of us are living life and we're going through life and we allow things to distract us. We allow things to get in the way from the mission and the purpose that God has for us. Oh, when I get this deal done, then I can be. Oh, when finally the kids are. Oh, when finally. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm inviting you into it now. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. See, abundant life is not found in that perfect relationship. Now, I married way over my head. I don't deserve the wife that I have. But can I just tell you, Abundance of life is not found in that marriage relationship where, wow, every being, every, every cell in my body is filled up. That's not where it's found. It's found when I live on mission and on purpose that Jesus designed me for. The same thing is true for you. See, God's mission is unique for each of us. 
But the goal is ultimately the same. I don't know how many of you are into football. Jim, Pastor Jim talked about the fact that he and I both lived in Wisconsin for a while. They don't allow you in the state unless you are willing to root for the Green Bay Packers. Now, you may hate the Green Bay Packers. That's fine. I'm not saying who I root for now. I'm saying when I lived there. And those people are nuts. Like they wear these big cheese things and they're out in Lambeau Field when it's 30 below zero? That's nuts. But here's the thing about a football team. You got wide receivers, you got defensive ends, you've got running backs, you've got an offensive line, you've got a center, you've got a quarterback, you've got trainers, you've got coaches, you've got all this. They all have a different function, but the ultimate goal is the same, to win the game. In the same way, you might have different and very unique gifts and abilities that are different than the person sitting next to you, but the ultimate goal is the same. And Jesus made that goal very, very clear in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, when he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And then in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, he said, look, I've been given authority both here in heaven, excuse me, in heaven and here on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've told you to baptize them first, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then finally, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And once you see it, then go. Go. Go and be my witnesses everywhere. See, our missions, both as individuals and collectively as a church, is to to reach people who are far from Jesus, who are not in a relationship right now. The people that share a locker, like right next to yours, that person, the person who's in the cubicle right now, that salesperson that you see a lot because they come into your office or you go into theirs, that mechanic that's right next to you, that's turning a wrench in the bay next to you, that person that lives right next door to you, that family member that you know, that person that is right now not walking in a relationship with Jesus, Jesus has placed you there very much on purpose so that you would be the conduit through which they would come to know about the amazing love and purpose that's found in Jesus, about forgiveness that's found in him, about the ability to break addictions that's found in him. See, sometimes we get distracted from our mission because we think that those folks that I just got done mentioning, they don't want to hear you see, we've believed this false narrative, a narrative that people don't want to hear about the difference that Jesus makes in 2019. Can I say, a good friend of mine by the name of Rick Richardson just wrote a book called You Found Me, and that book is based on real research that he did right here in North America within the last 18 months. And what they found is, is that people are very open to conversations about spiritual things. As a matter of fact, 76% of those surveyed said, I would like to have a conversation with someone of faith about their faith. 76% of those surveyed who were not in a relationship with Jesus Christ said, I would be very open. I'd love to have a conversation with someone of faith if they were to have that conversation with me. And I think we believe the false narrative that they don't want to hear when in reality they do want to hear. So don't be afraid. And when we decide to join Jesus on this mission, it affects us personally. We understand that our, our interruptions are actually invitations from the Holy Spirit. 
And, and all of a sudden, it, it affects us corporately. Like we understand, oh my goodness, the mission of, of me personally and of Livestream as a whole is to help people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I have interruptions in my life, when things don't go the way that I think they should go, maybe Jesus is allowing that to happen because he wants to put me in a place where I can actually connect with someone about their relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's why I'm there in that moment at that time. So that's the first story. Second and final story in Luke chapter 5. There are these guys, we don't know how many, there are these guys that have a friend that's paralyzed. Now, Dr. Luke, who writes the story, doesn't tell us how this guy got paralyzed. I pick up, I infer from the story that this guy probably got hurt at work. He probably was not born paralyzed. Many times in Scripture, if someone is born that way, they tell us. The scripture will tell us. This person, all we know is that they're paralyzed. And again, I, prob- I think they probably got injured at work or something like that. And these guys are former co-workers of this guy who now got really hurt. And what they've heard is, is that two things. They've heard that Jesus is in town and they've heard that Jesus has this supernatural power to heal people. They've just heard rumors about that. So they're thinking, hey, if we can get our paralyzed friend in front of Jesus, maybe Jesus can do something. Well, typical of guys who are watching ESPN too long or whatever, and they show up to the party late, right? And by the time they get there, there's a massive crowd in this room where Jesus is teaching, this house where Jesus is teaching. So they survey the situation and they figure out the only way that we're going to be able to get our friend in front of Jesus is to go through the roof. Now, I got to ask you, I, sometimes when we read scripture and we just kind of go wah, 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 like a Charlie Brown teacher, right? Can you, can you imagine if right now or next Sunday when Pastor Jim was preaching, right in the middle of someone's, right in the middle of his sermon, someone goes wah, wah, wee, and they take a saw and cut a hole in the roof right in the middle of his message. Okay, can you imagine right now if someone just started cutting a roof, cutting a hole in the ceiling, in the roof right now? That's exactly, see, can you imagine what that must have felt like? Like, and back then it would have been made of earthen materials. So stu- you know, dust is falling everywhere, stuff is falling everywhere. And, and, and like if you're sitting next to Jesus, all of a sudden here comes this guy on a mat that's being laid and like, okay, I'm going to get out of the way because that thing's going to land on me. And it's not some small little hole. It's probably six feet wide by, you know, two and a half feet or six feet long by two and a half feet wide. Like, this is a big hole. And they dropped this guy right down in front of Jesus. Imagine what that must have been like. That's <laughs> just like, I, I, think, I, I think you'd never forget that church service. <laughs> I think Jim is thinking about somebody to get that to happen next week. <laughs> they lower their friend. And And Jesus looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders want to have this argument with Jesus about who has the power to do that. And so Jesus, just to prove that he has the power to do both, says, why don't you take up your mat? You're healed. Take up your mat and go home. I heal you. Take up your mat and go home. And the guy feels his legs getting strong. Again, he was paralyzed. He couldn't feel his legs. All of a sudden, he can feel his toes. And he gets up. This is awesome. And he takes his mat. Jesus told him to go home. I'm out of here. See ya. Okay? Imagine the joy that filled his heart at that moment. But you know what? There's a greater joy even. What if you were one of the guys that lowered him down? 
What if you were one of those folks that said, uh, 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 I just got to get my friend close to Jesus. Imagine the joy that they went home with that day. Imagine your coworker or your friend who right now desperately needs to know that Jesus can do something for them. See, there are people all around us who desperately need what we have. They desperately need what we have. I mentioned a few moments ago that I'm blessed to serve these churches. I serve them in, here in Michigan and also in Illinois and Wisconsin. And in those three states, we've done the research to find that there are 22 million people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 22 million of them. And um, we put together a little clip. I have to be honest with you, this was originally put together for a pastor's conference, which is why you're going to hear some of the things that you hear. But I think it's worthwhile enough. What is it like to be one of those 22 million who wake up every day and have no knowledge of God whatsoever? What are they going through in life? What are they feeling? So just listen to this short little clip. I'm a pastor's kid who has abandoned any sort of faith after seeing a lifetime of my parents' hypocrisy. I'm one of the 22 million. I'm the practically invisible high school student who is days away from ending it all to see if my parents will pay attention then. I'm one of the 22 million. I am the super mom of six that does everything with ease including taking more and more Oxycontin to cope with my stress. I'm one of the 22 million. I am a father of four who is divorcing the wife I never loved because the kids are now out of the house. I'm one of the 22 million. I am a working woman who has everything, money, success, power, and a crippling pornography habit nobody else knows about. I'm one of the 22 million. I am the server at your favorite restaurant who wants nothing to do with religion because of the Christians I wait on when church lets out. I'm one of the 22 million. I am the city council member who has the perfect family of five, yet struggles with um, same-sex attraction. I am one of the 22 million. I am a middle school girl looking for affection and finding it from sexting with boys at school. I'm one of the 22 million. I'm a successful businessman who doesn't mind spending time with God as long as that God is me. I'm one of the 22 million. Soy un inmigrante indocumentado que quiere comenzar mi propio sueño, pero no tengo un defensor que luche por mí. Soy uno de los 22 millones. I am a single woman. I am frustrated and angry seeing everyone around me have their dreams come true. I am one of the 22 million. I'm a socially awkward college grad at a local coffee shop who's willing to change my entire identity to simply fit in and be accepted by someone, anyone. I'm one of the 22 million. 
You know, it's interesting. According to the Center for Disease Control, the United States is the only developed country in the world where life expectancy is actually going down. Do you know that? It's not because of cancer. It's not because of heart disease. Three main reasons. You can go look at the Center for Disease Control site. I'm not making this up. Three reasons. Number one, the opiate epidemic. Number two, liver disease caused by alcoholism. And number three, suicide. We are literally killing ourselves as a society. I don't know, but chances are in a society that we live in, you know of someone who's either OD'd or committed suicide. And there's just a deep hurting in our society looking for hope. You know, what we do is we Snapchat and we Instagram, and if we're over 50, we Facebook. And, uh, and we compare everybody else's highlight reel with our low light reel. And then we say our life sucks, and we end it. And it's into this society, ladies and gentlemen, that you are being sent on mission to provide joy and hope and meaning and purpose to the people around you. And sometimes you get scared. And sometimes you say, well, I don't know the whole scripture from Genesis to maps. I don't know it. Or I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to say all the time. You don't have to know what to say all the time. Jesus promises he will give you the words in the moment if you'll just be willing to say what he asks you to say in the moment. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be perfect. Oh my goodness. I don't know what to say, believe it or not. I know you're thinking, are you kidding me? You never shut up. There are moments that I don't know what to say, but Holy Spirit gives me the words to say in that moment. He'll do the same for you. He's begging you. He's begging you to join him on mission. He's looking at you like he looked at Simon, and he's just saying, hey, in the midst of everything else in your life, would you do something like actually join me? for the sake of people around you. See, you, you've driven by a pond that has no outlet to it, and it just gets this green scum on it, and it looks really, really gross. And then you've also driven or walked by a beautiful river. See, what happens is if all we do is come in and we hear incredibly awesome messages by Pastor Jim or Chris or whoever it is that's speaking that, that weekend, but we never actually do anything with it, then we're not fulfilling everything that God has invited us to fulfill. The reason this church is called Life Stream is because Jesus talked about streams of living water coming from places like this. But can I tell you, this building, as awesome as it is, isn't going to save anybody because it doesn't talk, right? Matter of fact, if you hear this building talk, you need to go see a counselor right? Because the building doesn't actually talk. You are the ones who are the mouth to the people around you who desperately need to know that Jesus loves them. So let's be people who live on mission. Let's commit to that today. Let's commit to being someone that lives the rest of this day 
and gets up tomorrow morning and says, I'm going to live on mission. Now, can you do me a favor? I think most of you have a bulletin or something like somewhere around you because Pastor Jim asked you to have one of those and then asked you to have a pen. And you do me a favor. You don't have to write it down if you don't want to. Maybe you can just think about it in your head. But if you're willing to write it down, I think it'd be cool. You're not going to give it to anyone. It's just for you. What's the name of the person you've been thinking about? Who is that person you've been thinking about for the last 30 minutes while I've been talking? Who is that person that you know is hurting right now? Is suffering right now? Is not doing super well right now? That is not in a relationship with Jesus Christ and desperately needs to know the joy and the peace and the power that's, in, that's available? Who is that person? And could it be that Jesus right now in this moment is inviting you to begin to pray for that person. Maybe, and you've been praying for them for years, but if not, maybe you begin to pray for that person and then just you ask Jesus, Jesus, would you, would you open up conversations, open up opportunities for me, not to be a whack job, not at all, but to be a winsome person in that person's life about how much you love them and what you can do in their life. So, You've sat long enough. Would you mind standing? And I want to pray for us.